Well, here at First Christian Church, Regeneration is our Bible-based 12-step discipleship curriculum that's all about learning to apply the gospel with the fullness and clarity necessary to deeply root your personal identity in Christ alone. Now, I know that's a mouthful, so let me say all that again. Regeneration is our Bible-based 12-step discipleship curriculum that's all about learning to apply the gospel with the fullness and the clarity necessary to deeply root your personal identity in Christ alone. It happens every Monday night at 6.30 p.m. at our Greenville location, and you should definitely do it if you haven't yet. So anyway, on Monday nights, I always introduce myself by saying, Hi, my name is Scott, and I have a new life in Christ. And I am in recovery from performance-based acceptance, an addiction to pornography, and pride, anger, and depression. And then everyone in attendance says, In this case, it's the folks here in the studio with me. So the first thing I say in my personal list of recovery issues is performance-based acceptance. I say that because for me, that phrase incorporates all the ways I believe and behave as if my identity in Christ and my worth in life come from my performance and competence before God and man, rather than the simple truth that I am made by God and saved by Jesus. Now the church in Galatia, to whom Paul's writing here, was experiencing similar problems. They were struggling with performance-based acceptance. And it was their own fault, but it was also not their fault. There was plenty of blame to go around. And like a parent with his children, the Apostle Paul writes to them this letter to help and, and to teach and occasionally to scold so that their struggles with this performance-based acceptance could be overcome by recalling the simple elements of the gospel that they had been neglecting. So jump in with me at the beginning of Galatians. Chapter 1, verse 1. Start off by noticing just the first three words. We're going to spend a lot of time here on these. He starts off by saying, Paul, an apostle. Now, in the original Greek here, Paul, an apostle is two words. Paulos, apostolos. Paul, apostle. This is a title that Paul is claiming for himself here. Now, let me explain. First word, Paul. This is a Greek and a Gentile name, a non-Jewish Greek name. Paul was born as Saul, which was his given Jewish name. But after Jesus himself appeared to Saul in Acts 9 and his heart was changed and his life took on a new mission, Saul began to call himself Paul in all of his New Testament books and letters, including here in Galatians. Why? Because Saul turned Paul, wanted to emphasize that when Christ appeared to him, Christ himself had called him to be, second word here, apostolos, an apostle. Christ himself had called him to be an apostle. At its simplest, at the simplest, the word just means one who is sent by someone else and given authority to speak on behalf of that someone else. But in this context, here in church leadership in the New Testament, it also means that because he had been commissioned by Christ in Acts 9 and he had been taught by the other apostles, Paul was sent by God to speak and to teach 
on his behalf. And not only that, but in this case, he had been sent to the non-Jewish Gentiles. So put these two words together, Paulos, apostolos, Paul, an apostle. And Paul is pointing out here at the beginning of this passage that he has been given authority to speak on God's behalf, to establish churches, to teach doctrine to those churches, just like the Galatians here. And this is important for him to say up front at the beginning of this Galatians letter, not only because the Galatian church was comprised largely of of non-Jewish Gentiles, which is why he called himself by his Greek name, Paul. But this wasn't his first rodeo with them because, kind of forgot to mention, Paul had been a missionary there. He'd spent time there. He taught doctrine there. He helped establish the church as an apostle. And now they were having some problems. So this idea of Saul, the Jewish Pharisee, turned Paul, the Christian apostle and missionary to the Gentiles. Now, I know that's kind of a long idea, but it's one long hyphenated word there. This idea of Saul, the Jewish Pharisee, turned Paul, the Christian apostle and missionary to the Gentiles. That is wrapped up in these two words, Paulos, apostolos. This title functions here to establish his credentials right from the very beginning of the book because... And here's a key dynamic for interpreting the entire book here. It's important for Paul to establish his credentials here because there were false teachers who had infiltrated the Galatian church. And they were creating a a fundamentally different kind of gospel that was misleading the people. These false teachers were straight up defying Paul's teaching, his apostolic teaching. And they were claiming he didn't have the credentials and that his teaching was was incomplete because, another important key, it wasn't Jewish enough. Paul's gospel wasn't Jewish enough. This is why we call these false teachers the Judaizers, because they were Judaizing, they were sort of Jewishizing the basic requirements of the gospel of free grace. They were teaching the Galatian churches that they had to basically convert to Judaism before becoming a Christian. They were saying things like, you have to be circumcised first if you're really going to follow Jesus. You have to keep the Jewish feasts if you're really going to follow Jesus. You have to observe the Jewish food laws if you're really going to follow Jesus. In other words, they were adding additional requirements to the basics of the simple gospel requirement of faith in Christ. And Paul did not like it. In fact, as we'll see next week in verse 6, and as we'll continue to unpack throughout this entire series, Paul is so concerned about this perversion of the gospel of free grace that he accuses, he accuses the Galatian church of deserting Christ and turning to a different gospel. And he says the Judaizers have been distorting the gospel and teaching the gospel that he calls contrary to the true gospel that they first had received from him. So with all that context, it's important to understand that Paul is taking great pains here to legitimize his apostolic credentials. He is demanding a hearing from the Galatians on the ground and the authority of being an apostle. 
which is why he says this. Keep reading. Verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, meaning not from human wisdom, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. An apostle through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, who raised Jesus from the dead. So Paul says, I'm an apostle to the Gentiles by the authority of the God who raised Jesus from the dead. And it's not just me saying this. The gospel I preach, Paul says, is not just me, but, verse 2, it includes, he says here, all the brothers who are with me. Now, quick note before we move on here. This is a letter. And verses 1 and 2 are the greeting, the, the from part. So, it's from Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. So think of that entire first verse as Paul's apostolic title, from Paul and the other believers with whom I live and do ministry and missions work, Paul is saying here, from me and from them. And so we're all in agreement with what I'm writing in this letter, Paul says, from us to the churches of Galatia. Paul says, this is what I want for you as Apostle Paul. This is what we want for you as fellow believers. Verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So in contrast to the burden of the requirements that have been laid on you by these Judaizers, go back to the basics of the grace of God that saves and that brings peace. Remember the fundamentals of the, of the blessing and the favor and the mercy of God. That's the grace that alone can bring peace in your otherwise adversarial relationship to God. And don't forget that he's our father. He's the one who makes you and me part of this new family, Paul says. Now, this is cool here next because in verses 4 and 5, Paul starts the entire letter by reminding the Galatians of the simple elements of the grace and the peace that he wants them to reclaim. Verse four, grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse four, who gave himself for our sins. Jesus gave himself. He offered himself to cover our sins and failures to deliver us from the present evil age to save us from this world and to make us new. How? According to the will of our God and father, because that's what God desires. And what he desires is what happens. Why? To what end? Because the cross of Christ is how God receives honor and glory. Verse five, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now I know we just flew through those two verses, but check this out. In verses four to five here, there are five essential elements of the gospel, five important things about the cross of Christ that bring the grace and the peace that we most truly need and that Paul's trying to remind them about. So let's go through them slower one by one. He says this first, 
notice that verse 4 says that Christ gave himself. In other words, the cross involved Christ's voluntary self-sacrifice. Instead of giving us giving us help to be better or smarter or more competent or more skillful as if those things could have helped, Paul tells us here that Christ gave himself. Philippians 2.7 says he emptied himself. Ephesians 5.25 says he gave himself up. Titus 2.14 says he gave himself for us. In other words, the offering of Christ himself was voluntary. John 10.17-18 say, I lay down my life. I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. In Matthew 27, 50, at the the very moment of Christ's death, Matthew tells us that he, he yielded up his spirit. Jesus was willing. It was his desire not to help you be good enough to achieve salvation on your own or to have better spiritual tools to use for being competent enough to be righteous. But Jesus wanted by himself to give up his own life as the gift that brings grace, as the gift that brings the undeserved blessing and favor and mercy, the goodness of God given to you as a gift. Second thing, notice in verse 4 again, it says that the reason Christ sacrificed for us was for our sins. In other words, the purpose of the cross was atonement, being made right with God in actual terms. You see, the cross was for our sins. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that it was for our sake that God made Christ sin for us so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Romans 8.3 says that God condemned sin in the flesh, in the flesh of his son Jesus, for us. Romans 4.25 says that Christ was delivered up for our transgressions, for our sins. Galatians 3.13 says that Christ redeemed us. He he bought us back by becoming a curse for us. Friends, there was a great transaction that took place on the cross. Our infinite debt before God because of our sin was placed on Christ so that he was our substitute. The offering of sin for us. God the Father took all of our son, all of our sin, placed it on the shoulders of Jesus as the perfect lamb and made an actual atonement for our sin in our place, which enabled God to forgive us and count us as righteousness instead of placing on our shoulders the wrath we deserve. What this shows us, friends, is that it is literally 100% impossible for you to pay for your sins. The scriptures tells us, the scriptures tell us that all have sinned and fallen short. The scriptures tell us that not one seeks after God out of a good heart. Friends, full and actual atonement for sin and right relationship with God requires nothing less than the perfection of behavior in every sense of the word, morally, internally, externally, in every word and deed you've ever spoken or done. 
So because of Jesus, because of the cross of Christ, because of atonement, this great transaction where instead of the sin we deserve, it's put on Jesus. You can have confidence before God. You can only have confidence before God because your atonement comes from the Jesus whose very blood was shed for your personal sins. Now, third element of the gospel I want us to notice here. Notice in verse 4 again that the effect of the cross, the effect of Christ's giving of himself for our sins is to deliver us from this present evil age. In other words, the effect of the cross was to rescue us from slavery to sin. Now, we don't get into this until later in the book, but we'll just introduce the concept here. Galatians, you see, isn't just about the kinds of things we've talked about already that Christ achieved on the cross for us to make us positionally right with God. But Galatians is also about what Christ did to begin in us a process of being practically right with God, becoming more led by his spirit than flesh. In other words, the cross doesn't just free us from the effects of sin, but it also frees us from the present world's evil influence that enslaves. This doesn't mean we are perfect, but since we are free from slavery to sin, we can now be slaves to the spirit of God in us. Our desires are for the the heart of God. You see, the gospel is freedom. The gospel is freedom from the allure and the desire and the enticements of this world of sin and evil that come from this age so that we can increasingly love the good things of God and our hearts can be increasingly in line with the desires of his heart. Now, fourth, notice in verse four again that the origin of the cross the source and design and how it was all worked out was according to the will of our God and Father. In other words, the origin of the cross is the heart of God. So, what Paul's saying here is that when Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't an accident and it wasn't because God's original plans didn't work out. It was because the Son was obedient to the desire of God the Father. Christ's death was according to the will, the desire of our God and Father. This was God's idea in the first place. In Isaiah 53, in speaking of the suffering servant who would be the Messiah, it says that he was smitten by God and that the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all and that it was the will of the Lord to crush him and that he, God the Father, has put him, the suffering servant, to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. Acts 2.23 says that Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. And then it points out that this plan meant being crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. At the end of Genesis, when Joseph was declaring that the good plans of God had been the case all along, when he was declaring the good plans of God in the face of the evil his own brothers had purposed against him, he said in Genesis 50 verse 20, you, speaking to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Joseph himself 
located deliverance in God's plans despite the suffering and evil and pain. Friends, the cross was God's plan for you all along. If you have Jesus as Savior through the cross. So the origin of the cross was the heart of God himself for your good. Now, fifthly and lastly, notice in verse 5 that the goal of Christ's giving of himself for our sins to deliver us, as God planned, the goal is to whom be the glory forever and ever. Replace that word whom there with him, maybe. To him. That's the goal, to him, to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. To God be the glory forever and ever, verse 5. In other words, the goal of the cross is the glory of God. Christ's giving of himself on the cross for our sins to deliver us from evil as God had planned. The cross of Christ, all of that was meant to be directed to the one to whom all glory should be, and scripture tells us ultimately will be directed. The Bible tells us that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The scriptures tell us that glory, it belongs to God and that he alone has, has immortality and that he alone dwells in unapproachable light whom no one has ever seen or can see. When we try to stand before God with something other than the cross of Christ, we are holding up our performance, our human strategies and wisdom, demanding that he accept them. But it doesn't work that way. Your best moments are impossibly tiny and immeasurably ineffective at moving the needle one small fraction of a fraction of a nanometer in the direction of a holiness that actually deserves God's grace. In fact, it's even worse. Not only are we personally unable to measure up, but so are those around us. Which means, which means that we need to stop expecting something different from them. Here's what I mean. Stop functionally asking sinful humans to be your Messiah who covers for your inadequacies and failures and anxieties and fears. You know you can't. Why do you expect them to? Friends, stop demanding what they cannot give. Stop manipulating from people. Expectations they are unable to meet. You see, not understanding these gospel basics of the Christ, of the cross of Christ for us. Not understanding these gospel basics of the cross of Christ for us means that we not only end up wallowing in our own failures and sinful inadequacies but that we also will constantly Judaize those around us, adding to the basics of the gospel. Friends, we don't, we don't protect the truth of the gospel by adding requirements to the simple truths of the cross of Christ. When we do that, we are subtracting from Christ's achievement for us on the cross. So let's end by taking 30 seconds to think about this 
takeaway question. What are you misunderstanding about the cross of Christ that results in you demanding of others what they cannot give and that only Christ can? Now, friends, notice the last word in verse 5. It's amen. Meaning, verses 3 through 5 have been a prayer. Paul's prayer for the church in in Galatia is to rediscover grace and peace. He's frustrated frustrated with them, sure, because they've forgotten the basics of the gospel of, of free grace. But he mostly wants them to rediscover these fundamental truths of the cross of Christ that are by themselves the only hope anyone has of atonement for sin and freedom from this world of evil. They've been experiencing the personal failure of inadequacy born of never measuring up or of being seen as not obedient or or not performing well enough. The Judaizers were placing burdens on the people that they couldn't bear. And it's the same for us, friends. You see, you can't possibly be good enough, smart enough, beautiful enough, Republican, Democrat, Jewish, or Wakefield enough to be adequate and competent and to measure up in the ways that merit the goodness of God in Jesus. It is literally not possible for you to measure up to the perfection God deserves. You can't do it. You will fail. If you're being honest with yourself, you're failing even now. The only hope you have is resting in who Jesus is for you. Friends, he's calling you now to look at the cross, to realize that your your worth and your value, they lie not in your performance or your credentials, but in the grace and the peace that come from a Savior whose perfect and sinless life lived for you, was given by him voluntarily to you as God had planned as a gift for you to receive. So receive in the cross of Christ, friends, what you don't deserve and cannot earn. Father in heaven, we submit ourselves. If we can hear from you because your spirit speaks and our hearts are soft, we receive from you again, afresh, the amazing truth of the gospel in its simple form. That your son Jesus came because you had planned for him to live the perfect sinless life for us. That he was motivated by love as the perfect lamb to voluntarily give of himself on the cross for our sins, to make atonement for us, to make up for our failures. And that he has, because of that, freed us from the powers of the evil one in this present evil world. So Father, we love you for that amazing truth. We ask that that basic understanding of what you've done for us would be something that we that we stick to and cling to without having to add other things, without having to demand of others what they can't give, without having to set for ourselves requirements that we couldn't achieve. Because, Father, we recognize 
that we have fallen short in ways that don't deserve Jesus. But you are gracious. You freely give of your son Jesus for us. And we love you for that. It's in his name we pray.